Hello and welcome to the Erwin Mitchell podcast. We're here to keep you up to date with legal and financial news that matters to you. My name is Sarah Coles and I'll be in the hot seat today. While we're recording this podcast, five people in the UK will die from sepsis. The illness takes well over 48,000 lives a year, yet is still known as the silent killer. And that's just from the data we currently have. With the help of two very special guests, we're going to talk about why raising awareness is so vitally important and consider how COVID-19 has impacted people who have had sepsis and who have been affected by sepsis and also how it's affected those offering support to those people. I am extremely delighted to be joined by Dr. Ron Daniels, an intensive care consultant, founder and the executive director of the charity UK Sepsis Trust, and Andrea, a truly inspiring lady, as well as a client of ours, who has lost both her legs as a result of delayed sepsis treatment. And Andrea was also one of the stars of our I Am Able campaign, which focused on what our clients can do not what they can't do. Thank you both so much for joining us today. Um, before we kick off with the uh, important part of why we're here today, I just thought in the current situation we're in, and I don't actually get out very much at all anymore, it'd be nice just to have a quick chat and just to say, you know, 2020 has seen some unprecedented change, the like of which we've not seen in our lifetime and hopefully we'll never see again. But if there were no restrictions at all, and what those restrictions are these days, I'm not quite sure, but if you could be anywhere in the world right now, where would you be and why? Ron, do you want to kick this off? Where, where would you be and why? Or are you exactly where you want to be? Well, I should probably say I'm exactly where I want to be, although um, Mrs. Daniels and the children aren't in, so I can be... <laughs> Uh, slightly more ambitious than that. So, look, I, I've got a romantic idea. The September sunshine's just come out here in Birmingham. I'm imagining myself sitting in, on Applecross Bay on the beach, looking out over the beautiful Westeros coastline, looking at the seals. The reality is, though, if it weren't for COVID, I would be in Geneva today working with the WHO. Wow. OK, well, I think if we could, we could all get on a flight with you now. Andrea, what about yourself? You know. Well, I've been spending a lot of time at home and in the garden, but I think if I if I could go anywhere, I think I'd go on a cruise and just visit different places. That would be um, my first port of call, I think. With, a cruise, with a definitely. large gin and tonic oh, on hand. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, think, I think we're all feeling the same. I mean, this time last year, I was preparing to get married and I was heading off to Spain with my best friends having had a wonderful time with some other friends doing lots of clay pigeon shooting and all sorts of things. And I would want to be back in Spain and watching Norwich City beat Man City in the Premiership, <laughs> which won't happen this year regardless of COVID because we got relegated. Unfortunately, we can't do that. And bringing us straight back to the reason we are here, um, sepsis, um, something that's impacting way too many lives in the UK and across the world at the moment and has been for a long time. I suppose the first question really is, um, what is sepsis? Um, it, it's being talked about quite a bit, but exactly what is it? 
Ron, I guess, best come to you as the medical expert in the field. What is sepsis? Well, sepsis is the way the body responds to an infection. So it's always triggered by an infection. But in sepsis, the body's immune system goes into overdrive. And if we don't stop it, that starts to cause damage to organs. It starts to cause problems with the blood supply, particularly to our limbs. And it can cause, of course, death, but it can lead to amputation and long-term consequence, even for survivors. Andrea, I mean, obviously, you know what sepsis is now, sadly, yeah. but you've yeah. been affected by it. Um, did you know what it was before? No, I, I'd, ne I'd never heard of it. Never heard of it until I came out of um, ICU, went onto the ward, and then I was told that I had had sepsis and explained what it was, but no, I didn't have a clue. And can you explain exactly what has ha what did happen to you? What's what's your story, Andrea? Um, well, um, March 2016, I became ill and I thought it was flu, just flu symptoms. My skin felt sore. I was shivery, I was aching and I just, I went to bed, stayed there. And then in the morning, um, felt absolutely terrible and couldn't breathe much, couldn't see. My son phoned the doctor, the doctor came, went to hospital and um unfortunately for me i had a delay in treatment while i was in hospital um, i had like 10 days in um, in icu and then onto the ward for six weeks and then after that i had 10 weeks in a residential home um, because i was still very weak from the sepsis um just to learn to walk again and get a bit stronger until i went home so I mean, Ron, this is something you see on your ward far too often, but hopefully with the treatment as well. And Andrew, you know, delays in treatment. There's reasons for it because I guess sepsis people aren't aware of, of it, even within the medical profession. What's the aim then eh, of your work, Ron, to try and increase the awareness? Um, how do we deal with it? So this is absolutely about heightening awareness. The challenge we have with sepsis is it's difficult to spot. It's difficult for the individual or their loved ones because it can start feeling very much like the flu. It can arise as a consequence of any infection and it presents in many different ways. So we don't have one single symptom or sign for people to look for. No, Andrea was a perfect example of that. You know, she thought it was flu and the doctor, yeah. you know, thought it was flu. And we would think it was flu, but it wasn't. Absolutely. Yeah. And it, it's about health professionals as well. It's difficult for health professionals to spot sepsis. Again, there's no single blood test. There's no single diagnostic test that can say this is sepsis or this is not. This is about a health professional having an index of suspicion. It's about them thinking sepsis. So the strategy is if we have a public who are aware of sepsis, who know when to go for help and who know to just ask, could it be sepsis and health professionals thinking sepsis, we can go a long way to making sure a lot more people survive and a lot more survivors survive to a really good quality of life. Yeah, I mean, the impact for people like Andrew and their families is absolutely devastating. And it's something I see as well as with Andrea's case, far far too often, and that raising awareness is so important within the medical profession, as you say, with the public. But statistically as well, I mean, how many people do we think are affected? I mentioned 48,000 in my 
opening lines, but is, is that the tip of the iceberg? What's the data? So the best estimates we've got, and, and these really are estimates, all we can do is to use coded data here in the UK and coded data, frankly, are not very good for interpreting how big a complex condition like sepsis is. But the best estimates we've had are from the Institute for Health Metrics Evaluation in North America. They've done a global burden of disease survey across the world, and their data for the UK suggests it affects 245,000 people every year, with 48,500 of those people dying. And to put this into context, that's more lives than are claimed by breast cancer, bowel cancer, and prostate cancer put together. Across the world, this is 11 million deaths. And bear in mind that as at the time of recording in early September, COVID had claimed fewer than 1 million lives, each one of course a tragedy. Sepsis is an enormous burden on society. And obviously you talk about the impact it has. We, we know, I mean, those statistics are, are overwhelmingly shocking. And to think that nothing much is really being done about it apart from through charities like your own and we'll come on to that in a minute but you say about the, the burden on society obviously for survivors I mean, Andrea you know you your life has changed now because of sepsis completely. Yeah, completely. you've lost your legs I mean how has it changed everything everything I I don't work now as a full-time worker before um I looked, did my own decorating, my own gardening, my own shopping, everything. And it's my life's just been turned upside down because of this. Now, um, still, I have um, carer that visits usually on a daily basis to help me in the house with chores. Um, and I've got back driving at least, but <laughs> that's, that's one thing. But um, it's completely upside down my life, just completely changed. And for those listening to the podcast, Andrew, I mean, you know, you how old are you? You're not old, are you? But you're having to rely on a carer yeah. and other people to look after you when you were wholly independent before. Yeah, yeah. I, well, this happened when I was 45. I'm 49 now. Um, so that was a total shock, having people showering me, you know, um, dressing me almost, um, feeding me, and then going home and having carers four times a day. It was just a total shock to me because I'd never had anything like that before and still still um have carers to this day um to help me manage and it's a, a lifetime journey now for you isn't it as well yeah. and for everyone else yeah. who's affected by sepsis one way or another and that yeah. let's say those figures it, it's millions of people around the world i mean in terms of it so what can we do what should we be looking for what's the advice to the public ron so we worked several years ago now with Public Health England to agree on a, a set of symptoms that people should look for and that we all agreed and the Royal Colleges agreed should prompt urgent action and prompt presentation to A&E or emergency departments. I mean, the first thing to say is trust your instincts. If you think you have an infection or a loved one has an infection and something just doesn't feel right, then the correct thing to do is to phone 111 and just ask, could it be sepsis? But if you find one of these six symptoms, now they spell the word sepsis and they're available on our website, then we agree with Public Health England and the colleges go straight to A&E, even during the COVID-19 pandemic. S for slurred speech or confusion. E for extreme pain in the muscles or joints. P for passing no urine, no water in a day 
S for severe breathlessness. I for it feels like I'm going to die. And people really do say that. In fact, that's the most commonly reported symptom by survivors after the event. And the final S for skin that's mottled or discolored or very, very pale. Any one of those six symptoms in the context of an infection, the messages go straight to A&E. And that message, is, is it getting out there? Is it reaching it? Because obviously, I mean, Andrea, you know, what's your view and your experience of it? Since this happened to me, um, a lot of people stop me now when, I, when they can see my legs, you know, if I'm wearing a skirt or anything. And they're so curious and people stop me in the street and ask me what's happened. But I've only come across in four years, I've only come across one person that knew what sepsis was. And that completely astounded me. Um, and it's, it's got to change because if I'd have known what sepsis was, I think things might have turned out a little bit different than what they have now. No, absolutely. I mean, I remember um, hearing Ron talk many years ago for the first time and I'd had cases around infection and septicemia, but obviously sepsis and the sepsis six was, was new to me and something that's developed, but it, it's it needs more doing then, we need to do more. And Ron, I thought maybe we were nearly there with the charity and how we, you know, it was going forward and getting the awareness, but clearly there's still a lot, lot more to do. And is that the same within the medical sector too, from your experience? Well, I think it is. And, and you know, we have to remember in defence of health professionals that sepsis was first defined as recently as 1991. So it's a relatively young condition at a scientific level. Of course, it's been around for millennia, but we only agreed on what it was quite recently. Among the general public, I think we have done a lot as a charity with the Just Ask campaign, with messaging on ambulances, with storylines in soap operas, at getting the word sepsis into the vocabulary but people don't fully understand what it is yet. They don't fully understand that it can affect anyone at any age, as Andrea testifies to. So, you know, we've got a long way to go. We are a small charity. And what's critical to us is life-saving partnerships with organisations like Erwin Mitchell to help to get the message out to their staff, to their clients, to their wider public. So we've got a long way to go. And in fact, we're going to have to work even harder than we thought we were going to because post-COVID, of course, focus has shifted away from these other very prevalent conditions. And just before we move on sort of COVID and obviously the impact that may have had or the change in messaging it may have had. I mean, Andrew, as well, your, your contribution has changed, hasn't it? What do you now do to try and raise awareness? Obviously, talking today is one of those things, but what else, where's your journey taken you so far? Um, I've been to a couple of meetings um, from UK Sepsis Trust that was held in Harrogate. No, Harrogate. They, not Harrogate. Group Huddersfield, meetings. Huddersfield, sorry, not Harrogate. I'm in the wrong end. Um, yeah, and um, um, I took some leaflets, leaflets from that um, meeting and I've dropped them off at um, my surgery and dentists and things. But um, I'm always letting people know about sepsis. Um, if anybody does stop me, um, I'll tell them know what what it is and how to prevent it um, and you've you've set up your own support group as well i mean don't hide hide behind <clears> that <throat> you know that's an amazing thing to do giving yeah. back to others yeah that was mainly for amputees but um yeah but with this there's about 14 15 of us that join up before covid um every month and we go have coffee and cake and chats and 
it's good it's it's a good time out and we talk about everything not just as amputations you know just everything we're just friends that's just a friendly bunch fantastic. well and that's part of it all isn't it you know i think people a lot of focus obviously goes on sepsis um taking lives far too early at whatever age and we hear people's stories and it's absolutely heartbreaking but equally you know the amputation side of it is is what well, lifelong change for yeah. you for you so for you to provide that and their support groups out there through the uk sepsis trust as well it yeah. is fantastic and more there's more we can do i'm sure and could, it, could i just say and so, sorry can. sarah could I, could I just say you know this is definitely about the very visible obvious after effects of sepsis like amputation thankfully amputation affects just a few percent of people who survive sepsis but for the others equally disabling but not as visible are the the hidden after effects now they can be cognitive people can't concentrate or have poor judgment and decision making they can be psychological up to and including ptsd and they can be physical most most commonly really bad fatigue and we're hearing about that now in people who've survived covid it's exactly the same after sepsis people desperately need help yeah i agree with that totally and is 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 there recognition in terms of those sort of unseen problems that people now have i mean i'm certainly aware of covid being raising awareness about those issues but sepsis it's less heard of isn't it i think is it post sepsis syndrome that it, it's it's referred to as yeah it, it is and and i think the the academic community get it and and understands that it's a it's a challenge and it's a condition and i think if they're honest um the policymakers agree that there is probably a significant burden here. I and mean, we've presented them with data from the York Health Economics Consortium and other independent bodies saying this is a real um, human and fiscal issue. But the reality is to, to rehabilitate people, to invest in funds to rehabilitate people in the way that they really do need it is prohibitively expensive. We simply can't afford it to be central uh, to be delivered from a centralized model so we need to work with partners like the uk sepsis trust like local nhs organizations to deliver as good care as we can but it's not going to be perfect but of course if people get rehab as i know through my work and the sooner they get rehab then actually the less burden i guess on society there is because they're able to get back to work in whatever capacity they can and have that support. So is there a much bigger cost if we don't provide that rehab? Well, th there absolutely is. And at the risk of getting political, this, this illustrates the challenge that, you know, it's very easy to say and, and, you know, it's true that we can't afford not to rehabilitate people. But the problem is we're expecting the Department for Health and Social Care to deliver the rehabilitation, the beneficiaries are not DHSC, they are Department for Work and Pensions and so forth. And this sort of interdepartmental need to do the right thing is something that doesn't work very well in many governments. No, well, let's move away from the political side of it, because we could talk about that in a, a completely um, topic in its own right. But going back then to the COVID element, I mean, again, awareness has been um, made of the impact of COVID on people that and there's a correlation or a similarity between that and sepsis isn't there 
has your messaging changed at all around sepsis as a result of uh, COVID-19? Well, yes, it has. I mean, of course, it would have been, well, insensitive and inappropriate during the peak of the pandemic when hospitals were full, when people were losing loved ones to COVID-19 without being able to say goodbye. It would have been insensitive of us to talk about sepsis. But the reality is COVID-19 causes sepsis. In rich countries like the UK, with full access to intensive care, that's what people are dying of. They're not dying just of the lung inflammation, the pneumonitis. They're dying of sepsis with multi-organ failure. So we're issuing a joint statement in the very near future that's undersigned by multiple professional societies in intensive care and indeed by WHO that says exactly that. COVID-19 causes sepsis. The after effects are likely to be very similar. We need to prioritise pandemics, sepsis and antimicrobial stewardship with equal vigour. And in terms of people going to A&E, I suppose, you know, I don't want to put a burden on the NHS at the moment. So I try, you know, think maybe I would have phoned NHS 111 before for an issue or um, but you don't want to because obviously we know they're under so much pressure. But I'm sure, Andrea, you know, your your view would probably be very different based on your outcome as a result of, you know, a, a delay in treatment. Yeah. Um, what would you both be saying to people if they're not thinking they, sh they should really burden the NHS at the moment with concerns about sepsis signs, I guess? Well, if they, if they really, really think that it could be, you know, sepsis or a serious infection, just go straight to A&E. That's what I'd say, definitely. Absolutely. And I'd reinforce that. I mean, of course, it's the right thing to do for the individual. But again, as at the time of recording, and let's hope it stays this way, the NHS has capacity. COVID admissions are right down. If you've got a serious illness, we want to see you sooner rather than later. And so that we can keep helping raise sepsis awareness. I mean, I know at say the time of recording I'm, I'm taking part in cycle for sepsis and i've dusted off my bicycle trying to get the miles in to raise funds for the charity to in turn help raise awareness of sepsis and there's sepsis awareness day coming up as well on the 13th of september that's a worldwide sepsis awareness day isn't it ron i mean what what are we what have we got to do for that day so World Sepsis Day, as you say, it's global. It's uh, run by an organization that I'm on the board of called the Global Sepsis Alliance. So what we're doing globally is we're engaging really heavily with the World Health Organization. And indeed today at the time of recording, um, Dr. Tedros, the Director General of the WHO has issued a press release that says that, you know, we really need globally to focus attention from sepsis. It's responsible for one in five deaths worldwide. The data aren't good enough. Systems need to improve and awareness needs to improve. At a national level and within our own organisations, within our own families, it's important that we talk about it. Yes, these are hard times for charities. Yes, we'd love you to do something like join Cycle for Sepsis and raise some much needed funds for us. But if you can't do that, just tell people around you use existing communication mechanisms whether it's within your family whether it's in your within your organization use the resources the sepsis trust can provide and just get the message out there that sepsis is common that sepsis can be hard to spot but that communication and awareness are key to saving lives are there other things we can do to help raise awareness are there any other campaigns that the charity or yourself are involved in that we can help promote or the people listening to this podcast can get involved with 
So recently we've issued our Blurred Lines campaign, which is around describing that the lines between COVID-19 and sepsis are blurred. It's a way to gradually transition the message as we hopefully come out of the COVID-19 pandemic back toward the real problem of sepsis, usually as a consequence of bacterial um, uh, infection. So get involved with World Sepsis Day, cycle for sepsis, but we've got events all through the year. They're all listed on the UK Sepsis Trust website. Of course, many of them are virtual right now. Many are suitable for individuals, many are suitable for organizations, and in fact, the majority are suitable for both. So if you can't join us this World Sepsis Day, 13th of September, then get on the website, have a look what we can offer. And there's schools for sepsis as well, isn't there? I mean, obviously we've seen the children um, starting to return to school, which has caused mixed feelings for, for parents and the children alike, some relief, I'm sure, and um, some anxiety around it all. Um, but how can the schools get involved? What's the School for Sepsis campaign about? So Schools Against Sepsis is a campaign that we launched with Warwick Davis, uh, the Hollywood actor, together with Dr. Range from ITVs this morning. And really they're involved because they've been very close to sepsis. Dr. Range as a paediatrician and Warwick because his wife had sepsis. It's around educating school children. It's not just about sepsis. It's about informing them that infections are common. It's about telling them the difference between viral and bacterial infection and that antibiotics won't work in viral infection. And it's also about encouraging them to get into the habit of washing their hands regularly, telling them that vaccines are healthy and are there to do you good and prevent harm. So it's a, it's a holistic information package. It's a lesson plan that teachers can deliver and it's resources that can engage the children. So if people are, do have school children or they know a teacher or they are a teacher, then please just again go to our website, look for Schools Against Sepsis and there you'll be able to download the information pack. Um, in terms of it, obviously I said about going back to school and there's lots of things we can do to raise awareness around sepsis with World Sepsis Day that happens every year. Maybe one day it won't happen because we'll have sorted out sepsis and the awareness will be as common as people, you know, having a heart attack, I guess, and knowing what the signs of that are. Um, and it would be nice to think that there won't be delays in treatment going forward. But again, going back to the journey people are on uh, and the issues sepsis causes, tied in now with COVID and the lockdown, I mean, Andrew, how has that impacted you and your support group and your network and, and the care you receive as well? I mean, what's it meant for you and how it affected you because it won't you won't be the only person obviously who's been yeah, affected yeah, as we yeah. know from the statistics sadly yeah i i isolated for nearly three months i was frightened to go out because of covid and i'd sepsis before and i knew the risks um so i isolated for just more than three months so i didn't see my granddaughter my son mum you know anybody so my garden's looking lovely at the moment <laughs> And how has that affected your mental health? Because obviously you've had an impact following the, the trauma that you suffered originally several years ago and built up your confidence again, I know, from trying to get out and about and yeah. going to see the people through your support group. Um, but how's that now impacted? Because again, people with a physical disability or a lot of people who suffer from sepsis will be feeling exactly the same way as you. Yeah, um, before COVID, um... I was a lot more confident 
um, I'd go out, I'd show my legs and people would comment or look and stare. Or, um, but now COVID, um, well, during COVID isolation, I've not been going out at all and I'm not used to it anymore. It upsets me. Um, I don't go out as much. I don't go out in public without any trousers on. So now I cover my legs all the time. Um, and to be quite honest with you, I'd just rather stay in at the moment, you know, until it's all over. Um, I'm quite careful where I go. And Ron, is that something that you and also the guys who deal with your um, helpline through the charity and yourself in the hospital, is that is this a common anxiety people are feeling and the way people are having to deal with life now? It, it really is. And, and particularly for the often vulnerable people that we deal with, people who've survived sepsis, um, it, it's a real challenge and we cannot tell them, we can't reassure them that you are at no greater risk of a severe reaction to a SARS-CoV-2 infection than anyone else because we simply don't know. So we have advised from the beginning of the pandemic that people do, who've survived sepsis do exactly what Andrea's done. Just be that little bit careful, um, ensure that you don't take unnecessary risks, ensure that you socially distance and make sure that those around you know that they also need to protect you because we just don't know enough yet about this virus to be able to confirm that people who've had sepsis are in fact um, no more at risk than other patients. And in terms of things, I mean, what have we all learned over the last six months then? You know, obviously we know sepsis has a strong correlation to COVID is what people are dying from rather than COVID itself, as you said, Ron. But in terms of it, is, is there anything more we've learned about sepsis and the, the impact on our lives from it as a result of this, this recent pandemic? Well, I mean, what's happened with the pandemic is, of course, a lot of people in a very short space of time have contracted a life-threatening infection and had the body's overreaction to it causing serious illness. So attention right now is, of course, on infectious disease. And our job as a charity that deals with people affected by any infection is that we need to make sure that we do what we're doing at global level with the WHO, that attention is now focused on infection as a whole rather than infection as a consequence of any one particular bug. No, absolutely. You know, Ron, there's so much more we can do. It's been a really strange six months. I mean, Andrea, I can't even imagine um, that it's been an experience that you want to repeat at all uh, and you've probably been in a really difficult position ever since this has all happened i suppose from myself as uh, some positives you know it, it's given me a bit more time with the family which i didn't have before but mm. i certainly don't want to repeat this journey that we've been on and actually you know cycle for sepsis has really helped me in terms of getting out of the house because i've been quite reluctant as i'm sure you have Andrew as well to go out and about um, and it's given me some drive to do that and to keep supporting a charity who are doing an amazing amount of work and I think that leads us really just to say you know Andrea first of all you're such a huge inspiration um, you've gone through an absolutely and continue to go through an awful awful situation but 
your growing confidence and how you've approached everything always with a smile on your face certainly to us anyway has been really really inspiring and I'm certain you know the support group you offer to people and your role in the local UK Sepsis Trust support group which they run all around the country um, has meant a lot to so many people as well so I just want to thank you in relation to that Ron, I want to say a massive thank you for all the work you are doing. One day I will hope that sepsis awareness is such that, you know, the charity maybe doesn't need to exist or is focused on some other life-saving action and work. But the, the work you do and, and all the work your, your team do is absolutely phenomenal. So I just really want to say a massive thank you to you both for today's discussion. Hopefully people have found that really useful and have taken away if nothing else the information around sepsis six and the signs to look out for and to go to obviously the hospital contact a doctor if they have concerns around it and if they want to help out the charity or speak to you andrew i'm sure they can reach out as well so it's just for me to say thank you all for listening to the owen mitchell podcast today if you have found it interesting then do join us for our next episode and in the meantime, please all stay safe and stay well. Thank you.